The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. In Numbers chapter 22, verse 28, this is not my text, by the way, the Lord used a donkey to rebuke a prophet. That's law, you know. In 1 Kings 17, verse 4, the Lord used uh, the ravens to feed his prophet. In Matthew 26, verse 74, the Lord used a chicken to make Peter cry. <laughs> you know, so, <laughs> really, you know, anyone can serve the Lord if you really want to make yourself available and serve him. You can do it. So, it's no big deal. The Bible is loaded with humor. It's a lot of stories that are funny. And I think that God has sense of humor. If you don't know how to laugh, you're in trouble. You should be able to laugh and enjoy your Christian life. But after all, you're not going to hell. And that should, be, that should make you happy. Like I said, God can use anyone and anything to be glory unto himself. And for me, I know my place. I know that I'm not qualified to do this. I understand that. But while I'm alive, I know that I can brag on the Lord and I can glorify Him and serve Him in the best way that I know how. That much I know. If you want to know why we use a pulpit of wood, why it is that we do the things that we do around here, it's in the Bible, really. This is not my text, but in Nehemiah chapter one, uh, chapter eight, sorry, verses eight, and uh, no, verse one, it says that all the people gathered themselves together as one man in the street that was before the water gate. Now, for those of you who are old enough to know this story, this water gate has nothing to do with Nixon. And they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, both of men and women, and all that could hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month. And he read therein before the street that was before the water gate from morning until noon. Get a load of this. He didn't get to point one, two, and three on his sermon. He just read from morning till noon on the street. It wasn't a nice building with air conditioning when everything is nice and neat. He just read, didn't preach. Before the men and the women and those that could understand and the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. And this is the punchline. And Ezra described stood upon a pulpit of wood. You want to know why we have a platform up here and a pulpit of wood? It's in the book. And beside him, he stood a bunch of guys that I'm not going to say their names because my Hebrew is not that good. So we're just going to skip that part. But the pulpit, you know, it should be impressive. It should have a symbol of authority because from the pulpit, the man who stands behind the, behind the pulpit has a lot of power in the preaching. From the pulpit, depending on who's preaching, you can, you can build up the people of God or you can send millions of people to hell from the pulpit. So you should know what you're getting into. 
And like I said, for me, I understand that this is not my place. Preaching is not a game. It's a serious business because what we do from here has eternal consequences. And like Matthew will say, doing this is both exciting and scary at the same time. Now let's get to the text. Uh, 1 John 3, verses 1, 2, and 3. And if you want to know why we stand, it also says in the book that when they read the book of the law, they stood upon their feet. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore, the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now we are the sons of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that has this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. Let us pray. My Father in heaven, what a wonderful opportunity this is to be able to stand here and deliver your word. Father, I pray for your people. I pray, Father, that in this hour you give me the power that I need to do this. And most of all, to glorify your name in all what we're about to say. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I have titled this sermon, The the Christian Attitude. What is your attitude in your Christian life? And of all the attributes of God, the one that people like is love. Everybody wants to know about the love of God. But we cannot reduce God to one attribute. The idea that God will never send anyone to hell because he is love is just not true. If the creator of heaven and earth doesn't punish sin, He judges the wicked. We're wasting our time here. He's going to do it. Proverbs 8, verse 36, read like this. But he that sinneth against against me wrongeth his own soul. All that hate me love death. If you ever hear someone out there, either you want to call it brave enough or stupid enough to say that there is no God, or that they say that they hate God, They love death. God would not allow anyone to get away away with sin. You can deal with sin in two ways. You can either reject the free gift of eternal life that has been provided by Christ, or you can go to him, and he will take care of him for you. Either way, a day of reckoning is coming. And all the accounts will one day be settled. When you read in your Bible about the love of God, we have no idea that it took the Son of God to make it possible. You look at missionaries who go around the world, who walk away from all the comforts of life just to make sure that people listen to the preaching and come to Christ. That is rare in people. You know, I have had the privilege to visit one missionary, and I see what these people go through, and I tell you, that is a special kind of love for for the lost. 
when you read about the manner of love that the Father has for you and I, this is the kind of love that really don't, we don't get. How can someone love you perfectly, expecting expect nothing in return, to someone who is not really worth it to be saved and forever? I know that I don't get that. You don't read in your Bible about love until Genesis 22, and I'm sure that Adam loved his wife and his descendants, but the love that is in, in verses, I mean in chapter 22, has nothing to do with a man loving a woman or a woman loving a man. It has to do with the love of a father for his son when Abraham was told to sacrifice his boy Isaac. And even though God didn't allow him to do it, this was a picture of what would happen 2,000 years later. And it did. When God the Father didn't hold back, and this time the Son of God was sacrificed for you and for me. And that is amazing love. And that's what it took. It is an amazing thing when you consider that it took the Son of God to die to make, not just to save you and me, but it also made us part of the family of God. Because the, the text says that we are now the sons of God. And you're not a son if you don't have a family. And this is amazing when you consider that everybody has a family. That's the one thing that we all have or wish we had. But everybody on the planet is, is, a, is a family member of somebody. You are the product of a broken family and don't have a father, don't let that bother you. God is your father if you are saved, and if you're not saved, get saved today and become a member of the family of God. Love is a tremendous, tremendous drive when you consider that family members, even strangers sometimes, for the love of somebody, they'll do incredible things, amazing things, just because. The driving force behind that is, is love. But when you put it all together, that is very insignificant when you compare it with the love of God. Because our love is selfish. It's limited. And God is none of that. And when you call yourself a Christian, you are claiming to be a child of God. And that's when things get really complicated in today's society. Not just today, but it's always been the case. And that's because everybody knows the difference between that which is good and that which is bad. Everybody knows the difference between the children of God and the children of Satan. And now we have... There are two fairy tales for grown-ups. That's what I like to call them in the world. One is evolution, and the other one is the universal brotherhood of man. And you can destroy both of them, really simple. First is evolution. If you own a house or you have a used car, it's impossible for you to believe that evolution is true. Things don't get better over time. You know, you're always working on your house or repairing your car constantly because if you stop doing it, the whole thing falls apart. And then they tell you that we got all this out of an explosion that took millions or even billion years ago. And we have a perfect planet, planet with all the things that are needed to sustain life. And we got it out of an explosion. 
I don't know if you've ever seen an explosion. I have had the privilege to see a few big bangs. And nothing good comes out of them. And they tell you that all this took place billions or millions of years ago. And to me, I get it. That is a code word for long ago and far away, and we can't explain it. <laughs> and so, anyone who believes that to me, I think that they belong in a mental institution. And then the universal, bro the universal brother brotherhood of man. The idea that it doesn't matter what you believe, what you practice, in the end, we are all going to heaven. And that is just not true. Regardless of what you believe, they say, you're going to go to heaven or at least a good place when you die. But Jesus made it clear when he said that we're not all members of his family. We are not all brothers and sisters. He said that there are some people who are of their father, the devil. And I know that's strong, but it's true. John 8, 44. So for every Christian, it is necessary that we test ourselves and make sure that you do it every now and then to make sure that you are consistent with what you're proclaiming. Because every child of God has the characteristics of his father. You look at our kids, they all have something that tells who is the father of that child. So make sure that your father's good name is always honor wherever you go. The text goes on to say, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that you know, the new birth gives you access to a higher life. And we're not talking about lifestyle, but your manner of, of life, how you live your life, how you, how you present yourself to this wicked world, and what is it that you're doing to make sure that nobody will kick you out from underneath and, and, and make sure that you don't fall apart. What are you doing? There's only one, one way to do it, you know, really. That is to be plugged in and be consistent in what, you, what you're proclaiming. And that's your attitude. What is your attitude to this sinful world that we're living in? Your attitude should be different than that of a non-believer, you know, for those who work on you know, work with a lot of people. It's sickening and very difficult sometimes to keep you cool when you listen the way the people talk at the workplace. And how do you endure it? How do you put up with it without blowing your top off? John introduces this verse with saying, with a command. It says, behold, or look, pay attention, listen up. This world thinks very little about the love of God, and the only people really who, who get it, who understand and appreciate the love of God is those of us who have been forgiven of our sins and are trying to glorify God and understand what he has done for you and for me. Those people appreciate his love. The greater the sinner, the more you will appreciate and enjoy your Christian life. And this is clearly seen when you look around in your neighborhood. I don't know if you've ever done it, a door knock, and I've done it plenty of times around here. People don't want anything to do with God because they're good moral people. And they see in themselves that they don't need God. They got it all. So the love of God means nothing to them. Instead, these people turn to religion, 
without knowing that there is no love in religion, not only that, there is no system in the world more responsible for sending more people to hell than religious systems. Because that's all they do. You name one religion that deals with the eternal consequences of sins. They don't. They don't, they don't, they don't know that Almighty God demands that a payment be made to satisfy the wrath of God that is going to fall on this world one day. The biblical term we use for this is propitiation, which means atonement, which means to cover the sins of a guilty person so that the one who has been offended will be satisfied. First John 2, 2 says, And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for us only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Don't misunderstand that. It's not everybody in general, only for those who will trust in Christ. That is the whole world that we're talking about here. Then Romans 3.25, Whom God has sent forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. That's a mouthful and requires an explanation, but I need to move on. First John 4.10, Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. This was my hang-up when I got married. I actually interviewed the priest that married me, and I had about five questions, and he couldn't answer any of them. I wish that I knew then what I know now. I would have asked him this question here. If you ever meet a Catholic priest, ask him to explain propitiation. They don't have an answer for that. You ask a Muslim if Mohammed paid for their sins. The answer is no. He was just another sinner who died without Christ, and he's still dead. You ask a Mormon if Joseph Smith paid for their sins. Same answer. He was just another crook who managed to get a following. And in the process, he's still dragging people to hell right now. And he's been dead for about 174 years. That's amazing. Charles Stace Russell, you know him? He's the founder of what I call him the no-hellers because they don't believe in hell. That's the Jehovah Witnesses. You know that guy's been dead for 102 years and he's still sending people to hell because people follow him? about Buddhism? That is the fourth largest religious system in the world with somewhat 350 to 500 million followers. They can't tell you where they're going when they die, but yeah, you have little children here that can tell you where they're going to go when they die. Okay? Lino and I witnessed to a lady last year and invited her to come to visit our, this church. And she told us that she wouldn't come because she, she likes to practice Buddhism, and she said that she 
She likes to have the, what she calls it, the out-of-the-body experience, to release herself from the frame, whatever that means. And so when we were talking, I didn't get what she was saying, but I, fi- I filed that away in my puny little head. And I went home and did some homework on that. And there's actually three ways to release yourself from the frame. <laughs> you know? One is through meditation or yoga. They say that you can actually release your soul from the frame with intense meditation. I don't know if it's true or not. I never tried it. I don't know. Uh, number two is drugs. People who use heavy drugs, they're in a different frame when they're under the influence of drugs. And number three is death. You kick the bucket, you out of the frame for sure. <laughs> you know. And so what's the point of all of this, you ask? You know, Religious systems are nothing more than a tool in the hands of Satan designed to keep people away from the one and true God who is love. You admit that you are a sinner condemned and deserving to go to hell. You turn around and turn to Christ. He will save your soul regardless of who you are or what you have done. But in religion, there is no love. But people do like to practice religious because it gives men an opportunity to say that they have done something to get saved. Christianity, on the other hand, we claim that Jesus paid it all. And there's nothing more that you can add or take away from that. We are dependent on the finished work of Christ to go to heaven. And Christ can save you. And even now in Revelation, it says when Satan goes before the throne of God to accuse you and me, our father will say to Satan, yes, he's a sinner, he still sins, but my son died for that sinner, and he's mine, and I love him. End of story. Next, we look at the reasons why it is that the world doesn't understand us, the text says. And it's simple. It explains it there. That's because you and I, the children of God, are supposed to be different. You know, people are supposed to see something different in someone who claims to be a Christian. And just saying that you are a Christian is not good enough. So why is it that people reject us? According to them, you are nothing but a fanatic. Weird, peculiar, that's what we call it. A while ago, Brother Tabor organized a trip to the, uh, I think it was the AT&T park, to watch a game. And my intentions were to witness at that place when we went. So I took a bunch of tracks with me, and I noticed when we got there that it was very loud, and people were very fanatic. Extreme, I thought. Some of them painted their faces with their teams on them. They were shouting and screaming, acting like fools. And I thought to myself, why is it that we can't get Christians to be this passionate about what we do? We serve in the Lord, the one who created heaven and earth. What will it take for these people, I'm talking about church members, not here, but all over, Christians in general. What will it take for Christians to become passionate about what we do when we claim to be children of God. No passion, I tell you. 
So anyhow, like I said, my, my plan was to witness. So I took a bunch of tracks uh, about halfway into the game. I took some of the kids and, and off we went. We went to give out tracks throughout the stadium there. And we had a great time doing it. We were rejected by some, but we had a great time. And after that, I, I treated some of the kids. We went to buy some food. We had this bowl of, I don't know what it was, but Jackson loved it. I don't know what we ate. <laughs> but it was great. We probably had possum that day, I don't know. But we were able to put a few tracks on the hands of a lot of people that day. If the world hates God, you shouldn't be surprised that they're going to hate you. They can't get to God, but they can get to you and me. As a student of the Word of God, you shouldn't be surprised, and you can't be ignorant about these things, because the Christian life is a life of separation, even from your own family members. You're supposed to be separated from them. Doesn't mean that you move away. You just do. You just don't do what they do. And you are a witness to the world with your actions and your attitude. You speak volume to the people that know you, that you claim to be a Christian, in rejecting everything that gets in the way of your convictions. If America continues to reject biblical Christianity and keeps inventing new ways to sin, in the near future, and I don't think this is really far away and not a stretch for me to say it, but the next wave of criminals, according to the people that are writing laws, is going to be your pastor and anybody who is in opposition to what they do. Any Bible-believing Christian will be considered a criminal, according to these people. I read a few days ago that, according to the highly educated fools running our government, and this was a few, a few weeks ago, I don't know how long it's been, we now have 38 different genders. 38. I'm sure they have more because they keep adding more every day. I don't know. And it's now a crime to discriminate against them. It boggles the mind to know that there are people that are that dumb. They're, they're just dumb. You know, somebody should use common sense. But then again, common sense is not that common nowadays. How bright do you have to be to know that God only created two? You know, a blue and a pink, that's all is needed to keep the cycle going. <laughs> but that's what people do when they don't know God. You know, John 15, 18, and 19. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world will love his own. But because you are not of this world, of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. So make up your mind. That's what I tell Christians. Make up your mind. Be a rebel. Don't back down and serve the Lord. We can do this. This is doable. Next we look at the... Uh, what it is that we still sin. Even saved people sin. We sin every day. You know? 
I don't care how hard you try, how much you read the Bible, how much you pray, you fall on your face every day. But you go to the Lord in prayer and he'll forgive you and restore you. Ecclesiastes 7.20 says that, For there is not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. No exception. You should be happy to know that the Lord is not done with you. And that's why we still sin. But a day is coming when all that is going to change. And we're going to be like Christ. Not that we're going to have his attributes, but we're going to have the ability to worship him, to serve him, and never sin again. And that's going to be a glorious day. And we'll do it forever. And finally, who has the hope that this is going to be realized one day? I tell you, not many people have this hope because even in Christian circles, you see the attitude of the people. And everybody wants a Burger King type of sermon. You know, my way and I want it now. You know, that's how people like it. They can't stand a sermon that goes on for more than 45 minutes. And as you read in the text on Ezra, it said that these people stood from the morning until noon. Nobody preached. He just read scriptures with all the advances we have in technology and with the unlimited information that is available now you would think that people are learning and growing but we're going backwards people are not reading anymore instead they get the demonic electronic device and they talk to it you know instead of getting a book and do some research they don't do that anymore there has never been a better time to study your Bible than now with all the information that we have available. But I know that Christians are not on fire and passionate by serving the Lord, and they can't endure much. And so what do we do? How, how do we face this? How do we tell our children that unless they're faithful and stay plugged in, they're going to be dragged out into the world? I know that America has a Bible in every home. Everybody has a Bible. And I heard a guy say, one, McGee, I think it's McGee who said that, if every Christian will pull his Bible out of the shelf and dust them off, we'll have a dust cloud. It's probably true. But not being on fire for the Lord has to do with the lack of conviction. People, they just don't feel bad about their sins anymore. You know, they, they think it's just normal, you know. My wife is always telling me not to do this, but I do it anyways. When I hear people trashing the name of Christ, I can't stand it. And I always rebuke people. And she goes, don't do that, don't do that. But I'll say, if, no, if I don't do it, no one's going to do it, because nobody does it. You see, Christians, Christians do this. You know, they can stand somebody right next to them, bad mouth in the name of Christ, and they don't say anything. So it doesn't affect me. Of course it affects you. This is your Lord who's being bad-mouthed there. How can you stand there and take it and say nothing? I can't do it. And I know that some, one of these days somebody's going to punch me in the kisser, but hey, it is what it is. People don't feel bad about their sins anymore, even Christians, and I know that. A lot of that has to do with, again, lack of conviction. And the other one is the type of preaching that people expose themselves to. And the preachers that are being produced at these Bible seminaries, college seminaries, you know, they, they have no guts. 
If you're going to stand and preach the word of God, you need to understand, you need to get it that this is God's word. And when he created the heaven and the earth in Genesis 1.1, he doesn't say that he asked somebody how he was going to do it. He just said he spoke and it was done. End the story. So when we preach God's word, we have authority and do it with conviction. And if they kill you because that's what you believe, you go home to glory. So I said that these Bible seminaries are more like cemeteries, dead and cold. So who's the person who has this, this hope? Only those who get it. Only those who understand that God is absolutely holy and cheap salvation does not exist. The price that was paid for your salvation as mine was too high for us to neglect it. We cannot neglect it. 2 Timothy 1.12 says, For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Payday is coming. One of these days, we are going to get paid. And for now, just take it in the kisser, endure it. You can do that. You know? Romans 5.6 for when we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. You know, there was a time when you were lost. If you were like me, I was lost. I served the devil for many years. And I go back and look at where I was, and I'm thankful that I'm saved now. Now, how many of you know what is the, the world prayer team? How many of you have heard of that? I became a member of the world prayer team about 10 months ago. And every day at 2 o'clock in the morning, I get an email from people all over the world. You have the opportunity to pray for a country, a person, a city. In America, we, we, we just don't get it. You know, there are people right now under tremendous persecution. They're literally being put to death because they proclaim the name of Christ. And in here, we can't even make it to our church. There are people who could be here every day if they wanted to, but they choose not to. Like I said, while thousands in other parts of the world the attitude of American Christianity is declining every day. Romans 12, verse 1, I know that Matthew read it and Brother Dalton read it last week, and I'm not going to go over it, but it does say that we are supposed to present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Can you think of anything more reasonable than serving the Lord? The one who loves you enough to die for you, can you think of anything more reasonable than that? I don't think it exists. I understand that presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice is difficult. I get that. And that's because a sacrifice is supposed to stay on the altar because it's dead, right? 
Christians are not supposed to enjoy sinning. If you sin, you should go immediately to God and be restored in prayer. But a living sacrifice is different because in your sinful condition, even though you're saved, you still sin. Like Brother Dalton said, you tie that dog over there. If you stay away from it, you'll be okay. But if you go within range, he'll bite you. A living sacrifice will jump out of the altar and go swimming in the sewer pond every now and then and then come back and crawl back onto the altar expecting to, get, to be accepted. And that's not the God we serve. You know, we always said that God forgives and forgets. He doesn't forget. He forgives. He doesn't forget. Every person who claims to be a child of God has the obligation to behave, number one, and number two, to keep in mind that we are citizens of heaven. And we are here to represent our king and his kingdom. You should always keep that in mind wherever you go. Remember that that's who you are. You are a citizen of heaven. You got to live with that expectation that at any moment you could go. Even though you're in the flesh, you are in the kingdom of God. It's a spiritual kingdom. You're not in a physical kingdom now, but we are spiritually, spiritually speaking. We are now in the kingdom of God. That's what you enter in when you got saved. So the Christian life is a life of separation. We are to be a good example of the people who don't know the Lord. That through you actions, people will see something different and you will be attractive to those who don't know the Lord and see something in you that they don't see in anybody else. So what's the attitude? Take for example church attendance. Okay? The attitude of many people, and I know that many churches have canceled midnight, I mean midweek church services because people, they just don't want to come. So the attitude of some Christians is they don't think it's important to come to church on Wednesday nights. I know that some can't, but many of them could. Next is what is your attitude in your prayer life? Nobody prays enough, I know that for sure. There's a boy in my Sunday school class that told me that he has noticed that when our pastor is away, and we have a prayer night here on Wednesdays, people don't show up. You know, I find that interesting that a little boy, a child, can understand that neglecting the church is not right. Why is it that we don't get it? We cannot afford to stay at home when we should be together as the family of God. When the doors of this building are open, we should be here to study the Word of God. If there is a time when Christians should be together and praying is now, you know, we need to pray for our pastor and his family. We need to pray for the leadership of this church, make sure that the men who carry on the job here, make sure that they're strong, and they're faithful, that they don't compromise. We need to pray for these people. We need to pray for our children. You know, they're exposed to every garbage out there. We need to pray for them. 
We need to pray for our country. Our country has fallen apart, and we need to pray for our president, the people signing laws. We need to pray that God will give them wisdom to do what is right for our own good so we can keep on preaching. We need to pray for our missionaries overseas. You know, I've got a lot of people out there that we support. We need to pray for them. So we all got a lot of praying to do, but people don't like to pray. They get sleepy. But not only that, I know that the attitude of some people is not like everybody else who is really on fire for the Lord. Believe it or not, there are some people who come to church to sleep. I've seen that. It's very disturbing. But that is not a new problem. When you should be praying, you're sleeping. When the Lord was being arrested, I mean, he was praying in the night that he was arrested. While he was praying, his disciples were sleeping. So sleeping in church is not a new thing. Uh, in Acts 20, verse 9, the great apostle Paul put a young man to sleep. A young man. Can you believe that? Acts 20, verse 9. And there sat in a window a certain young man named Eutychus, being fallen into a deep sleep. And as Paul was preaching long, he sunk down with sleep and fell down from the third loft and was taken up dead. You know, Paul preached that night for more than 20 minutes, believe it or not. He preached all night. And he got, this guy got sleepy and died. He fell off. The, you know, fall off the third floor. You're going to die. The difference between Paul and the preachers of today is that Paul could bring dead people back to life. That's huge. In this church, nobody has that kind of power. If you fall asleep in your chair while we're preaching, and you break your neck and die, I hate to tell you this, but you're going to stay dead. We can't help you. You know? Next, the text says that every man that has this hope in him purifies himself even as he is pure. Again, just calling yourself a Christian is not good enough. The world is watching you. Even when they don't say it, the world is watching you. And even if you never open your mouth to proclaim the name of Christ, what you do or don't do speaks volumes to the people who know you. Let me ask you this. Do your friends know that you are a Christian? Or are you hiding that? How about your co-workers? Everybody at your workplace should know that you are a Christian. Don't be afraid. How about your classmates? For those of you who go to school, you should be witnessing to every one of them. Don't just let them talk trash. How about your next door neighbor? Does he or she know that you are a Christian and that you go to church? Do you invite him or her every Sunday to come to church? Do you give him tracts? Do you live your life in a way that is noticeable to those people who know that you claim to be a Christian? Our attitude is what makes the difference. I know of nothing more productive than studying your Bible. I am constantly telling that to my kids and my wife. Study your Bible. Read your Bible. Spend time in the Bible. There's nothing better than that. Don't waste any time. 
in the pages of this book is where we discover who God is. But if we don't spend time in it, it's impossible to know how much God loves you if you are saved. And if you're not saved, get saved. After all, Christ died so he could save people. And finally, I don't think that the judgment seat of Christ is going to be a glorious event for many Christians. And I say that because the Bible says that everything that we have done from the moment that we got saved until that day of judgment is going to be put to the test. God is going to test what you have done after you got saved. And so, what you listen, what you speak, where you go, your associations, text messaging, all that is going to come to life one day. Second Corinthians 5.10 For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he has done, whether it be good or bad. It has nothing to do with being judged for your sins, but you will be judged for what you've done in your Christian life. I'm afraid that there will be some Christians at the judgment seat of Christ who are going to be saved. They'll make it. But they're going to make it in the way that you escape out of a fire in the middle of the night, almost naked, with nothing on you, with the smell of fire on their backs, unprepared, ashamed, nothing to show for. They're just going to go to heaven with nothing. I don't know. That's not a good idea. I don't want to go to heaven like that. And so, your salvation is personal. You have to make that your own. Nobody can save you but Christ. And on that day, you will not give an account for somebody else. And nobody is going to speak for you. That's between you and the Lord. You're not responsible for anybody's salvation. And nobody is responsible for yours. It's personal. Now, consider this. If you're not saved today, you're going to spend eternity somewhere. After you take your last breath, you're going somewhere. You're just not going to ex- uh, cease to exist. Jesus can save you today if you're not saved and give you eternal life. And if you choose to reject them, you will end up in hell. Now, preaching, I'm done here. Preaching is primarily for the, to edify the people of God because that's usually who comes to church, the people who want to worship God. But we hope that unbelievers will come and be exposed to the preaching. And maybe, maybe, who knows, they'll be convicted of their sins and turn around and come to Christ. If you have this hope, you'll get busy and get to work and live your life with the expectation that at any moment, Christ could come and we're going to see him face to face. For those who are ready, that's going to be a glorious day. And I look forward to it. And I sure hope that that is your attitude. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, 
please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.